When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, Doug Lamarie, Scott Patsko, and Lance Reisland. Dig it in, Scott, on Amari Cooper. You wanted us to do this, Lance. You did a great breakdown at Cleveland.com about Cooper's route running. Some very specific things in there about eyes and angles and blind spots that we will cover on this podcast on Gotta Watch the Tape. Scott, as always, you've got numbers to sort of help guide us through here. But the bottom line is it's been an interesting offseason for the Browns. And the Deshaun Washington situation was such a tsunami that it's like, hey, remember when the Browns traded for a number one receiver? Oh, that was cool. So we're doubling back, right? We're doubling back on some football. We're doubling back on a guy that, as you said in your film review, Lance, is a true number one receiver. So, Scott, let's start with that. How could this change the Browns' offense? This guy's going to get a lot of passes thrown his way. Scott Patsko, dive in on Amari Cooper on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, first, in terms of how the, uh, crazy the offense offseason has been, if I had told you at the beginning of all this that the Browns would add Amari Cooper to the offense, and that would not be the biggest addition the Browns made to the offense this offseason. Yeah. That'd be pretty. Who's going to believe that? <laughs> I remember, like, they traded for Amari Cooper, and my column the next day was like, Baker Mayfield better use him. And Andrew Barry yeah. was like, oh, 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 oh no, <laughs> don't you worry about that, Dougie. It's all good. Yeah, we got other plans. Yeah. So, yeah. So last week we, we looked at Sean Watson and what he brings the offense. So this week, you know, we want to look at the guy who, whether it's Watson or Jacoby Brissett for a significant portion of the season, we'll be throwing to the most. That's at least we expect Cooper to be the guy who gets the most targets. And that's where I'm going to start here. Uh, is is kind of with targets because it's probably made sense for the Browns to trade for a receiver of the caliber of Amari Cooper instead of trying to sell a big-name guy on Kevin Stefanski's offense. Because, again, remember, this happened before Deshaun Watson. So all the wide receiver knew at that point, outside of you know their hoping Baker Mayfield comes back healthy and can be a better quarterback, was that Stefanski's offense did not throw a lot to wide receivers. They ranked 30th the last two seasons of wide receiver targets. And if they dug a little deeper, they'd notice that in 2019, when Stefanski was in Minnesota, the Vikings ranked 31st at throwing to wide receivers. So I'd ask uh, Stefanski about that at some point um, during the season. And he did note, you know, we that's kind of a function of our formations. We do have uh, tight ends on the field a lot, which makes sense. But even beyond all that, like Cooper isn't just moving to a different conference or a different team. It's like he's moving to a different universe in terms of offensive philosophy and just offense in general, because uh, again, that's how we viewed this when the trade happened, as we'll get to, as we go through this, things might be changing more than we think, but he was leaving a Cowboys team that finished in the top 10 in pass attempts each of the last three seasons. He's joining an offense that finished in the top 10 in rushing attempts the last two seasons. Cowboys ranked in the top 10 in wide receiver targets 
each of his years there. Uh, and he was at the forefront of that. He led the team in targets in 2019 at 119 of them. In 2020, he had 130. And they tied for second last season. He had 104. So that was in Dallas. In Cleveland, meanwhile, Jarvis Landry is leading the Browns with 101 targets in 2020. That's the only time in the last three seasons that a Stefanski offense has had a wide receiver reach 100 targets. The previous high was Stephon Diggs with 94 in 2019. Landry led the Browns with 87 last season. Austin Hooper, tight end. Austin Hooper was second in targets each of the last two years. Uh, and that was just at 70 and 61. So again, the days of having two wide receivers over 100 targets like the Browns had in 2019 when you had Landry and OBJ, those kind of washed away when Stefanski arrived. These are all, like I said, the, the reasons for that, the Browns have had at least two tight ends on the field for about 45% of their plays over the last two seasons. That means they only have two wide receivers on the field for those plays. And as we all know by now, the Browns make near the bottom of the league and having three receivers out there despite that personnel grouping being the most popular in the NFL. I wouldn't be surprising to see Cooper reach hundred targets in 2022. I think we all kind of expect him to do that or at the very least lead the team. But now with the addition of Watson and then also the release of Hooper and even like something smaller, like letting fullback Andy Janovich leave. I think we go into 2022, maybe with the lowest level of confidence of what we're going to see from Stefanski's offense not that it won't work, but just we're not really as certain of what we're expecting to see as we were last year or the year before. And we had a baseline. We kind of had the map for what he was going to be doing. Um, but the fact that Cooper and also Deshaun Watson have played almost all their NFL career and offenses that really leaned into 11 personnel that use three wide receivers most of the time kind of tells us that Stefanski's offense is maybe about to change. And that Cooper will kind of be the centerpiece of this passing offense more so than, than the tight ends, which has really been, been the case the last couple of seasons. Lance, in your coaching experience, how do you balance your philosophy, your style, what you like to do with this is the personnel I have, this is what they do well, especially as that goes to a quarterback? How do you think Kevin Stefanski will handle this? Because I think think we have an idea of maybe what he likes to do but the personnel is changing what, what does a coach do well you have to, no matter what your personnel is at any level you got to play your strengths but the strengths of any football team is your best players and it sounds funny but you win with people if you walk into Woody Hayes Center it's you win with people and uh you know he's an outside zone uh play action uh, our offensive line we have a lot of money offensive line our running backs so I think it's tweaking it I think he'll still, I still think we'll be in 13 personnel. I still think we'll be in 12. I still think we'll, I think we will move more to 11. Um, also, we have to have other receivers besides Amari Cooper to be in 11 personnel. So I think he will tweak it. Um, the thing that you can do is that in his offense, he had, there's a lot of levels concepts that we've talked about before. There's a lot of schemes they have um, that Amari Cooper can fit. He can fit in multiple schemes. He can be at multiple levels. He can run multiple routes. He can be inside. He can be outside. So I think, um, you are who you are. You have to run what you know. You have to run um, what you're confident in. You have to run what your uh, uh, your personnel says. And we still have a, a big offensive line. We still have a very solid running game. So I think they're going to have to still do that. However, um, I think it will get tweaked a little bit. I think they will be a little bit more spread. Uh, but remember that outside zone stuff, that's that's a five. You know, you can run that with five guys up front. And it doesn't have to have a tight end. Doesn't You know, it can be a one back to a four receiver set. 
So that zone concept is based on um, the blocking itself, not really tight ends. The tight ends help with that. So I still think they'll stay with that inside-outside zone concept will be his base. Um, they run a lot of counter last year as well. Uh, but I think that they can just work the uh, formations a little bit differently. I still think we'll, we'll be a, a run and a pass team. I think it'll be more balanced. Scott, when they traded for Amari Cooper and they didn't yet have Deshaun Watson, it was like, hey, they got a number one receiver. But I just thought, well, this doesn't sound that different than Odell Beckham to me. And I know they inherited Odell Beckham. Kevin Stefanski did, but it's like, oh, number one receiver who in the past has got a lot of targets and has proven he can be the number one threat in offense. Well, they had that and they didn't use him. So in a Kevin Stefanski Baker Mayfield world, I was, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but curious of, okay, what's really going to be different in terms of their usage of Amari Cooper. But now that you have Deshaun Watson, now I'm leaning more towards, oh, yeah, no, they'll use this guy. They'll throw the ball to Amari Cooper. Is that, I mean, you know, Lance, as you said, I mean, you have to go with your best players, but everything keys off the QB, right? You have to do what your QB is most comfortable doing. How does Deshaun Watson's presence here, Scott? And, of course, we know there's the Brissette caveat. We don't know how long Deshaun's going to be suspended, but there's going to be a world where that's the plan. Deshaun Watson's throwing to Amari Cooper. How much has Amari Cooper's world changed, do you think? that his quarterback is going to be Deshaun Watson instead of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, it's funny. I did have the same kind of thoughts like, all right, well, they tried OBJ. They're just kind of switching in Amari Cooper. Baker had issues just finding OBJ as we all came to learn. I, I, I agree. I, I wasn't sure like how that was necessarily going to change things, especially again, knowing what we knew of the offense at that point, knowing that they lean so heavily on throwing to, to tight ends. That this is a guy who's really, gotten big target numbers. Um, but you're right. When you do change the quarterback and again, it's not just that it's the Hooper departure, I think plays in this as well, because they did not go out and sign somebody who you would assume is going to come in and take Cooper's role. And I don't know if you're really like Harrison Bryant played a, a different role as a tight end than Austin Hooper did. Harrison Bryant was in the backfield a lot. It's a lot, kind of of I, a lot of fullback responsibilities. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, so as I look at the addition of Cooper, the loss of Hooper and the addition of Watson, that those are the kind of things that make me think that maybe this becomes, maybe becomes more of a, a balanced thing where, or maybe more like an unbalanced thing where it's closer to like a big three type offense than at least in terms of targets and, and who you're, you're looking at in the passing game than it has been. It's very much been a spread it out across the board thing here uh, the last two years with Stefanski. But maybe because we haven't seen Watson yet and Stefanski together, we kind of assume that Watson will do a better job at taking advantage of his best receiver. Um, again, until they get out there, we're, we're, not really, we're not really sure. Lance, I, you're going to sprinkle this stuff in, but I, I want to ask you this very specific question here and kind of wedge this in. In your film evaluation of Amari Cooper, you came away with the idea of like, this guy is a bona fide number one receiver. Why? What was it that told you that when you evaluated him, how he plays the game? And then again, all right, I was like, all right, we thought Odell was that, but again, whatever Odell was or wasn't, you were resolute in the idea that Cooper's a one. 
Well, I, first and foremost, I think he can play inside outside. He's a you know he's six one, he's two twenty, but he plays you know two ten to two twenty. He plays, uh, he can play big in the red zone. Um, he can do those back shoulder fades. He can go get a fade. He can. Uh, he's great on working angles on hips and working defenders' hips. Uh, so the fact that he can work inside and outside, and he's really really good in the red zone, kind of is the number one thing that makes him uh, a red zone threat. And his route running, his route running is like I said, I've watched a lot of film in my life and his route running is really, really special. And uh, his ability to get open. And for me, the, there's three things that stand out that make him um, different. And it's kind of the three things that I always always wanted my receivers to do is to win at the line of scrimmage, to win at the catch point and then run after catch. Uh, lots of guys can do one of the three. Some guys can do two of the three. Um, some guys run really good routes and some things but he. He wins at the line of scrimmage with releases. Uh, when the ball's in the air, he battles for it, and then he runs after catch very well. Um, those three things are what separate, for me, what separate him from just about anybody I've watched. He's really, really good at uh, getting off people, fighting for the ball, you know, all those things that, um, you know, some guys do. Some guys are red zone guys, and some guys are, you know, good in the slot, and they can run with the ball after catch. He really does all three of those things really, really well, which for the Browns and their scheme, their scheme, uh, could work great. He can be the first level, second level, third level. He can be over the top. He, you know, all those times we we run outside zone and we come back and we dump it to that tight end in the flat. On a different formation, that could just as easily be Chubb or Cooper or uh, Hunt. Those can be different people uh, to do those things. But in, in going back to Cooper, those three things are for me are what separate him: the, the the ability to release, fight for the ball, and then run after catch. That is interesting because to me there would be guys who are great at the catch point, right? Like a bigger, more physical receiver. They can go up and get it, but then when they come down with it, maybe they're not going to run away from people, right? And then maybe there's some of those smaller, faster guys who if you can get them open and scheme them open, you hit them on the run and they explode. But if they have to fight for it, maybe they don't have the physicality to go up and do it. To check all those three boxes does sound like something to me that's like, eh, it's not a ton of guys who would do that. So that's very, very, very difficult to find those guys with those, you know, winning the phone booth kind of guys that can go get a one step fade on the goal line. Uh, can beat, you know, he's, he can out muscle. He's a big guy. He can, he, he can just about match up with any DB size wise in the red zone. Uh, he can run those little crossers. He can do just about, like you said, as you're saying, he can do just about anything. So uh, it's exciting moving forward for sure. All right, quick break here. I've got to watch the tape. When we come back, Scott's going to dive in a little more. We're, we're very intrigued by the volume that Cooper's going to get in Cleveland. But regardless of the volume, it seems like he's going to be pretty efficient with what he does. We'll do it next. I've got to watch the tape. Scott, Doug, Lance, we know that you're a Browns insider. We know a lot of you are. And if you're not, man, wouldn't you want to try it? I mean, this team, could they be more interesting? They're accumulating talent. There's some controversy around the talent. They're making moves. They still got more to do. If you're a Browns insider, you get it all. You get the text subscription, which is information right in your phone. You get access to all the stories. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. If you really love the Browns, there's no reason not to try it. And I just have a feeling if you try it, you'll probably like it. And if you don't, just bail. It's fine. Just give it a shot. Scott, Cooper's efficiency as a wide receiver. What's that mean? Yeah, so regardless of targets, that's what the Browns really want. They want their wide receivers to be efficient, and they got that in 2020. 
with the group ranked second in the NFL and EPA per target. Again, they ranked 30th in wide receiver targets that year, but despite that low number of targets, they did a lot of good stuff with it. Landry led the team in targets that year. Rashard Higgins, wide receiver Rashard Higgins, third. OBJ, who played only six games and two snaps that season, finished third among Browns wide receivers in targets that year. So again, it wasn't a group that was dominating the overall pass game, but they were efficient as a group. And then they fell to 28th in EPA last year. Obviously, a lot of variables at play there. Cooper has never really been an analytics darling. Certainly not, you know, at the caliber of Rashard Higgins, who I think we should all we should all marvel I at. I knew, I knew, man, you get a bonus. You get a bonus in your paycheck every time you drop Rashard Higgins randomly into a, into right. a podcast. That's right. I get I get a little I get a little check in the mail every yeah. time. It's like a royalty. Um, it's your Higgins royalty. That's right. That's right. But but that hasn't been Cooper. Um, he ranks 30th in DVOA last season and has just one season above 27th. In 2019, his first full season in Dallas, he did rank 10th. Uh, but in, in many ways, that was his his best year. In a lot of ways, he had 79 uh, catches, a career high 1,189 yards, a career high eight touchdowns. He also had a career high in yards per catch, just over 15. Um, that also remains his most recent Pro Bowl season. But in three years with the Raiders at the beginning of his career, he ranked 49th, 27th, and 67th in DVOA, which, again, is an efficiency metric that um, really puts a lot of value in how much you're, what you're doing to help your team get first downs. Um, catch rate's important. First downs important. Touchdowns important. Although he did make the Pro Bowl in his first two seasons, he was ranked very low in those. He also saw 130 and 132 targets in those first two seasons. So volume has been Cooper's friend over the course of his career. Less is not more with him. More is more. Shout out to Yngwie Malmsteen. And if you guys don't get that reference, I will explain it at the end of this podcast. <laughs> but one area, though, where he has been efficient, and it's an important one, is in the red zone, which uh, Lance kind of alluded to before. Um, even though 2021 was a down year for him in terms of catches, he had 68. And yards, he had 865. He remained efficient in the red zone. He ranked 13th in red zone targets among receivers, and he was even better. He was seventh in EPA per target, which, again, means he's doing a lot to help the Cowboys get closer to scoring points. So he caught 14 of 15 catchable targets, zero drops in the red zone. His successful play rate, which means he, how he helped Dallas get closer to first downs in the red zone, ranked seventh. He was at 52%, and that was among those with at least, with at least 20 targets. He was one spot behind Cooper Cup, one spot ahead of Devontae Adams. Again, this is just in the red zone. But that red zone efficiency is a bit of an outlier. Um, he also did really well in 2019. His success rate was actually a lot better. It was 67% in the red zone. But he hasn't been above 38% in any other season that I have data for, which is basically everything except his rookie year. So that's two really good seasons and four seasons at 38% or worse. But it's probably good that two of his best seasons in the red zone have come in the last three years. So perhaps you're getting him at a point where he's smarter, where he, he's, you know, just your experience obviously adds to your ability as you go through the NFL. So that's something that I think the Browns can kind of hang on to and, and say, you know what, he, he is at a point now in his career where he, he does make things happen in the red zone more so than uh, perhaps earlier in his career. But some things working against Cooper when it comes to efficiency metrics, again, is that he isn't regularly among league leaders in touchdowns, first downs, or even catch rate. Even in his first three seasons, 
with at least 130 targets. He never had more than six touchdown catches in those years. His career high is eight. He's done that twice. He's never ranked higher than 22nd in first downs with the Raiders. He moved up to the mid-teams with the Cowboys, got as high as 10th in 2019. But he's always kind of been in between like 50 and 60 first downs per year. Last season, he ranked 23rd. He had 45 first downs. And his catch rate, uh, last three seasons, he's been ranked either 36th or 37th. Now that I poo-pooed all over his efficiency, that isn't to say the Browns aren't getting an excellent receiver in Amari Cooper. Um, the point again here is that more is more with Cooper. He does seem like a great fit for the Browns uh, in terms of the routes that the Browns offense targets the most, which are curl routes and out routes the last couple of years. Baker ranked third in targets on out routes uh, in 2020. And the Browns ranked 10th and 12th in pass attempts on those routes the last two years. So now you add Amari Cooper. Cooper on out routes was tied for ninth in targets, fifth in catch rate, eighth in DVOA in 2020. In curl routes, he ranked third in the league in targets, ninth in DVOA. So he's been very efficient on those. And so going out and getting Cooper and adding to, to offense where the quarterback often targets curls and out routes made a lot of sense, uh, especially when you did it. Because at that point, even though they were pursuing Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield was very much still the quarterback. So if perhaps, you know, if they, if they lose out on Watson and you move forward with Baker Mayfield, that that pairing seems like it would have been a, a marriage that would have at least given Baker Mayfield more of an opportunity to be successful. Deshaun Watson, by the way, uh, was near the bottom of the league and targeting curl routes in 2020 but he ranked first in DVOA on those throws. So again, efficient, not targeting him a lot, but he does get a lot out of him and does well as for out routes, him and Baker uh, were both really bad in DVOA. They were below the baseline mm. for the league average in that. But again, we're basing this all on what we've seen from Stefanski's offense through two years with the Browns. There are plenty of signs indicating that, you know, we could see more than just subtle changes next season. So Scott, let me ask you this then. If the conclusion is the advanced stats would say he's not a particularly efficient receiver. Does that tell us more about his skill set or more about how Dallas chose to use him and what kind of quarterback Dak Prescott was? If people are sitting there, oh, like you said, Scott Pasco just poo-pooed all this stuff. What, what does it tell us about Amari Cooper, the player? It tells us that it's hard to be efficient when you're getting a ton of targets. Obviously, the more times you do something, more times you have to fail or the more times there is for it not to work. So, you know, when you're getting 130 targets. And again, I, I haven't I haven't gone back and checked this, but I'm just going to use common sense and say it's not as likely that you're going to be among the most efficient wide receivers in the league. So that's why I say, like, more is more with him, more volume. Um, throwing to him more. He just, you know, it helps him produce and be among the league leaders in these different areas of like traditional counting stats, as opposed to, again, uh, efficiency and rates and stuff like that. So Lance, when you hear these stats about Amari Cooper, Hey, he's put up good numbers, but then Scott's diving in a little bit from the film. You said he's a number one receiver. Is there more out there for him? Like, do you think Amari Cooper's best days, best production, best efficiency, biggest impact could potentially be ahead of him with the Browns, with the skills and the, the things you saw him do on film? 
Well, going back to what Scott said about the red zone, the last two years being the best in the red zone, that kind of tells me that he is learning. And when you're, I think sometimes when those super talented guys, they just rely on their talent and through high school and college, and then they get to the NFL uh, and they can do certain things. Uh, they can run routes, they can do certain things, but then as they get seasoned and they get a little bit older, uh, they're able to get better and better at their route running, get better and better at understanding how defenses are going to stop them. So when Scott said his last two years have been really good in the red zone, that kind of showed for me, shows me he knows how people are trying to play him in the red zone. He understands what the coverage is. He understands where to attack, uh, how to attack, uh, you know, the route running, going back to what I really love about him, the route running, uh, how to get off man coverage, how to read zone coverage, how to attack blind spots. Those things all come with reps and practice reps and over and over and over again. So I, I think as he's getting uh, older and becoming more of a veteran, I think it's still young. Um, yeah, I think that I still think there's room for growth there for sure. Yeah, yeah I say one of the things that we could see, uh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about Cooper in terms of like how he fits into what we've seen from the Browns offense, but He's also a guy who's very similar to OBJ in that he's done very well on slant patterns uh, in his career. And like the Browns offense in 2019, when OBJ showed up and they, they already had Landry, they, they led the league in, in throwing slant patterns. Baker led the league in the Browns overall as an offense, led the league. And then Stefanski's offense, meanwhile, in Minnesota, really didn't use that much at all. They were like their 20 or 29th. But when he showed up in Cleveland in 2020, the Browns fell from first and slant targets to 28th, even though you still had OBJ and Landry on the roster. And then they moved up a little bit to 23rd last season. Cooper, meanwhile, has been in the top 10 in slant targets the last two years. And again, it's been a, a great route for him. So perhaps there's learning from Stefanski's standpoint here too. Like maybe, maybe that's a better way to take advantage of my number one receiver who's really good at doing this thing that we don't do a lot. And so that's, that might be a wrinkle that you see. You know, I the think. one thing I saw last year in the playoffs that I hadn't really seen in, in terms of where we thought the Browns were going to be is a guy who could just win. And you saw that with Cooper cup. You saw that with different receivers in the, in the league, whatever the route is, whatever. I just thought some of the skill players were just so good in, in some of these playoff teams. And I think that's what Cooper gives you in terms of, can he still grow? He can win. And he can win in a big moment, and he can win when we need a, when we need to play. We all knew Cooper Cup was getting it that last drive, and he got it. And you know, you need a guy who can just win. And 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 I think Cooper Cup's that. I mean, I think yeah, I, I think Amari Cooper's that guy. I think this does go back to something that I think gets underrated sometimes, which is the idea that Kevin Stefanski just needs to be more like Freddie Kitchens, which doesn't get said enough. It doesn't it in really the doesn't. Browns community. You need a little more Freddie in you, Kevin. So a few more slants. Th that is sometimes Lance. You know what, Lance? Football can be a beautiful game. It can be a complicated game. There can be all the film work and all the scheming. And sometimes it just comes down to a dude winning. It, and, at, and at every level, you got to have guys that can win. And you, you just said it. All that stuff, we all do that stuff, and you get you make yourself crazy. Saturday morning, I used to come in, and Sunday morning, and you have all these red zone percentages, and you have all this stuff that's really, really important. But you got to tie that in with getting it to your best guy. And you're right, I just got to win. You watch the playoff, the dudes win. The guys who are the playmakers, they win, and that's that's what that's what I think Amari Cooper gives us as a guy who can win. And I unless 
I was saying the last two seasons, that's been something we've talked about towards the end of the year and right after the year. Who who was that? Who was that guy in the Chiefs game in the divisional round of the playoffs on that last drive? Who was going to win and help you get in position to score and go to the AFC Championship game? Who was you know who were those guys at the end of last season when when the Browns are trying to to reverse course? It just they didn't have that guy that you see like Tyree Kilby for the Chiefs or we saw Antonio Brown, you know, do a lot of times for, for the Steelers, that guy down the field that um, we saw that uh, when the Browns played the Chargers or when, when they played the Vikings, you know, they, they just, you go to receiver three times in a row because he's just, he's winning. And it felt like it, it just developed over time with Odell Beckham Jr. And Baker that even if theoretically Odell should have been, or could have been that kind of receiver, it just never developed that way. It never felt like, hey, what's the what's the play call here? Baker find Odell and make it happen. And I think we all were waiting for that. It's like, well, shouldn't that be a thing? These other teams seem to do it. Don't the Browns have that kind of guy? Can't Baker be that kind of guy and have that kind of connection with Odell Beckham Jr.? And it just never happened. But, Scott, I, I mean, that, that the Cooper Cup thing, Lance, I mean, my gosh, it's like it's the preeminent example that we will find of like as you said everybody in the stadium knew that ball's going to cooper cup and matthew stafford and cooper cup find a way to make it happen anyway scott do you think kevin stefanski at times this coming season in in difficult moments will say well what's the play here that we're going to the play is deshaun and amari figure it out and i know it's not really quite like that but you know what i mean because sometimes it has felt like in the Kevin Stefanski era that, Oh, well, why didn't the Browns throw to their best guys? Oh, well, they were covered. So the defense did this. So they had to do this other thing. And it's like, well, how come all the other teams just throw it to their best guys? <laughs> how come Devonte Adams gets 150 targets? And the answer in Cleveland is like, Oh no, no, that's why we had to throw it to Austin Hooper. And it drove people yeah. crazy. Well, is Kevin Stefanski going to do that? Scott feed the dude. Yeah, we have to wait and see, but I do agree that uh, it does, it has many times felt like scheme over playmaker with the Browns offense. It's like this, this is how this play is supposed to work. And this is how it's going to be run as opposed to, you know, Jarvis Landry's just getting open or, you know, like you said, OBJ and especially in the red zone, you know, it's all right. This is, it's we're, we are throwing to tight end X in the back of the end zone on this play. doesn't matter who it is. You know, doesn't matter uh, how many snaps this guy got earlier in the game. This is going to a tight end in the back of the end zone. And it's not so much. We're going to necessarily look for our best player. That was a Freddie Kitchens rally. Who was that tight end? Who was that tight end? Who was in the back? It wasn't Ricky Seals Jones. It was like the other guy. Demary. Demarius. Oh, yeah. And it was like, what are you? throw it to Odell. It's like, well, the play didn't go to It's like, no, I don't care what the play is. This is a $20 million receiver. This is a waiver wire tight end. Throw mm-hmm. to the guy who's good. Oh, Lance. I, I'm like a football coach, right? That was a football <laughs> coach rant. Throw to the guy yeah, who's you, good. You know, it's funny, but you have, um, if you look at every, you know, all those call sheets you see where the guys are all looking at the call sheets on every one of those. Every one of those call sheets in one way or another, there is a touches play. Like mine always said touches. I didn't really – your best players have to touch it. And 
Um, however that is. So if it's, if you're more of a scheme guy, then you got to put your players in those schemes. And if you're more of a, uh, you know, in, in, there are a lot more option routes and LA does some, you know, some different things than in the, the Browns do obviously with the run game and things, but it really comes down, it comes down to players. So scheme is one thing, but players win. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's frustrating at times uh, for me at all levels, but I've always believed that, the number one quality of offense coordinator, our guy calling plays is your best player touch it. And for us, that's our running backs. And that's, that's now that's Amari Cooper. And that's what, you know, Watson. Um, so however, however that has to happen, um, it has to happen, but those are, those are, you win with players. And, and, and I'm a true believer that and the best players have to touch it. Demetrius Harris. There. I, I thought it was Harris. Nice. Yeah. Three touchdowns in 2019, which I think might have been more than Odell Beckham. Oh, but we don't have to talk about that anymore. Amari Cooper is here. All right, one more break. I've got to watch the tape. We'll come back and talk about what's he going to do to make the Browns passing offense more explosive next after this. Doug, Lance, and Scott, thanks, you guys, for joining us, as always. We drop these got to watch the tapes on a lot of Thursdays. There's a lot going on in the offseason, but we're happy to be back with you guys. Scott, when you look, I was looking at the 2019 NFL stats, which is like Cooper's best yarded season. You know, his yards per catch compared to a lot of guys is pretty darn good. I mean, he's he's up there. He's more like 15 yards per catch. Some other guys, Michael Thomas that year, led the league in receiving. He's like 11 yards per catch. That as much as it's like we're very in, interested in volume, make sure you feed this guy. He's He's been – He's put up some big numbers without having a hundred receptions, right? What what does this mean? Is, is he going to make the Browns more explosive? Lance, I thought it was interesting. You said he can run you, this levels concept. Um, you're making me smarter, Lance. I'm, I'm making, making me smarter <laughs> about football. But the idea that like he can be at any level of that is very interesting to me. Scott, how explosive do you think he'll be though? Yeah, I do agree. I think 2019, in a lot of ways, was his best year. And he had a great year on deep passes. And deep okay. catches uh, in 2019. He tied for first in pro football focus grading on passes of 20 yards or more, 99.9. The scale only goes to 100. Uh, he was tied with nine other players, a group that includes Stephon Diggs, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, uh, Tyreek Hill, also Kenny Stills of the Texans, for what it's worth. Who was being thrown to by Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah. So there's a nice connection for you. Um, he had Cooper had 15 catches on 24 targets. Uh, and this is on deep passes for 503 yards, five touchdowns, two drops. Dak Prescott's passer rating when targeting Cooper on those passes was 145.8, which ranks second. Um, last season, Cooper ranked 11th in deep passing grade, still pretty close to 198.8, catching 11 of 21 for 309 yards, three touchdowns. He did not have a drop. And the passer rating, 137.4, which ranks six. So this is all great news for the Browns especially after adding a quarterback at Watson, who has consistently been among the league leaders in deep passing completion percentage and also making big time throws on deep passes. Browns have not been an explosive passing offense under Kevin Stefanski. What? That's not, that's not breaking news. They ha- they ha- Are you just learning of what? this? Oh, sorry. I, a six yard pass to Austin Hooper is not considered an explosive. That is, play. is not that considered explosive. I, no. I, analytics confuse me sometimes. Sorry. No, running five yards, catching the ball, falling down is not an explosive play. So uh, the Browns did, however, lead the league last season in explosive run rate. Yeah, they did. Um, in fact, they've led the league the last two seasons in that stat. But they ranked 14th in explosive pass play rate 
last season and 13th in 2020. So not horrible, but certainly not. It's, it's got an odd balance with what their running game is. And then you add Cooper and you expect him to help with that, especially, like I said, when you had Sean Watson, who ranked fourth in DVOA on go and fly routes in 2020. So you're combining two guys who are really good at, at connecting uh, deep down the field. And the offense, though, like it doesn't necessarily have to change or or, or have a, a a dramatic switch in how they go about things. Like they don't have to go to like 67% 11 personnel to have an explosive passing game because last season's leader and explosive pass play rate was the 49ers. The offense that used three wide receiver formations, only 2% more than the Browns. They were down in the, in the mid forties, mid 40% range uh, with the Browns, the league average is 60%. So it can be done. Um, Cooper, and I know uh, Lance mentioned um, yards after catch earlier. It's it's weird, and I and I and I did some, I tried to find out like is, was Cooper playing injured? How how much was he playing injured over the last few years? Because his yards after catch have kind of plummeted over the last few years. He hasn't averaged more than four point four yards after the catch since twenty eighteen. He was usually up over five, like with the Raiders. Uh, when he got to Dallas, that kind of changed. He was just at three point three. Uh, per catch last season. He's never been among the league uh, among receivers and his tackles either. Um, but again, you take, you know, elite route running and you combine that with size and speed. He ran a four, three 40 uh, at his combine 2015. All that gives the Browns something they haven't had on the roster in a long time. Probably not since Josh Gordon. If you're talking about somebody who can be physical size wise, who can be fast. And again, uh, I, I don't think Josh Gordon was the route runner that Amari Cooper is, but if you're looking for a high bar set by a wide receiver for the Browns, uh, you probably have to go back to Josh Gordon to find that. And that's been, and that was nine years ago. So it's time for the Browns to have a dynamic explosive receiver. And, and Cooper certainly seems like he can be that guy. Again, I want to direct people to the piece that Lance wrote. Amari Cooper is the best route runner in the NFL. Here are three ways he does it. That film review on cleveland.com, it's a great read. Lance, when we talk about an explosive receiver, how much is the route running a part of that? You have some great breakdowns. There's like, I love, I love any screenshot where the defensive back is turned the wrong way and it looks like he's running backwards or facing the wrong because the receiver has spun him in a circle. How much is Cooper's route running part of being explosive and helping him get open for some of these shots down the field? Well, first of all, the, the shots downfield, I really like. The receiver's really got to help the receiver, and Watson's really good at it, and uh, Cooper is going to be really good at it. But when you see a receiver, he's got to give himself some space from the hash to the sidelines and allow the quarterback to decide where the defender is. So that that's one thing he does really well. He tracks the ball very well, but he makes it very easy for the quarterback to kind of um, move him where he wants. If you see those balls that are missed, those cornerbacks are trying to press those receivers to the court, uh, to the uh, sideline, which makes it very, very, uh, there's very small window to catch the ball there. Uh, in terms of his route running, um, he, he does some great things. And, and the one thing we talk about blind spots, you know, that's recognizing that it's zone coverage and that cornerback's looking in towards the quarterback and he presses that outside shoulder. So he can, that, there's a point where that cornerback literally can't see him. And then on his double moves, um, he's fantastic at double moves in terms of he'll run a slant and a go, a sluggo, 
and he'll drive his eyes to the quarterback on that slant. And when those eyes go, the defender goes. And those little things, those little details that he does with his eyes and his hips and his angles, he gets him wide open. So when he drives on that slant, if his head goes, it's really, really good. So his head goes and then the defender goes because those defenders really react to the eyes. So those little things he does so well and he does them on every single route. And then he, one of the things that um, I mentioned in the article is he, he really tracks the ball well in the air coming down. It's not an easy trait to catch that you know, that ball coming in from a bomb. So he does a really, really good job of finding it, tracking it, and bringing it in. Scott, this I think it's possible that our series on the Browns' backward offense is maybe dead because they've completely changed their offensive personnel. And so what's the point? But the thing that you were talking about, we, we talked about this a lot last year, and we eventually were going to zero in on it, that they were number one in their explosive run game and middle of the pack at best, an explosive pass game. And it sort of almost reached the point where it was like, oh, hey, the Browns are down late in the game and they need an explosive play. What's their best chance in explosive play? It's like, I don't know, wide zone with Chubb and hope he hits a cutback lane. Who in the else in the league would be handing the ball off to their running back if they're trying to gain 25 yards on a play? But that was a better bet for the Browns. They were just so unusual with that. The idea, Scott, that they can stay explosive running it. And now add explosion, throwing it because Amari Cooper is a guy who can threaten teams and then cash it in down the field. That's that's when you get that's that's the kind of stuff that people get excited about in in March, because then what's a defense supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, think back again, back to that Chiefs game. Uh, the Browns needed to drive down the field and get points. And what were they doing? They were throwing screen passes and passes into the flat to get it to their running backs. Uh, they weren't really stretching the field. Uh, when they played the Chargers uh, last season and needed to drive down the field, uh, you did not see chunk plays at the end of that game because they just they didn't seem to have the ability to connect on those. And uh, the biggest play they had in that game, I think, was the Njoku pass um earlier in the game and uh if you're you know if your tight end is the guy who's stretching the field then you you might have some problems trying to drive down on a game-winning drive with no timeouts left so uh yeah from that respect it can change but i think this goes back again like we said all these things before about someone else we used to say this about odell beckham jr and about all the things he could potentially do to an offense and the browns would even say that you know he's a guy who does more than just catch the ball he he does all these things off the ball and he creates all this space and well okay so now you have Odell uh, Odell out and you add in Amari Cooper what's changed in this equation well the quarterback's changed and I think that's probably where where you see more of the difference here you still have a guy who can do those things farther down the field but now you have a quarterback who's more been more consistent over the course of his career and connecting on those passes than, than Baker Mayfield has. And maybe that's how we finally see uh, the Browns kind of have an explosive offense, even if, it, even if it isn't necessarily throwing to Amari Cooper down the field. It's just threat of, of that pass happening and opening up other things. And, again, it, it just all kind of circles back to the quarterback, which Browns fans should know by now. That's where everything starts. You know, when you talk about, too, when they talk about that power run game, that power run game doesn't have to come out of 13 personnel. That power run game, I you know, they can – when you get bigs on bigs, so the more – you know, sometimes you get in that 11 personnel and now you're going to run 
against a light, you know, a light box, a five-man box, a six-man box. Browns are running the ball with everybody knowing they're running it. So the threat of Cooper, like you're saying, Scott, can really help them uh, stretch the ball down the field. They can be a power run game. They can do, going back to Doug, what you said earlier, they can tweak it and still be a power run game. Um, now the bigs just got to block the bigs. They don't have to block everybody in the box because those guys should be outside the box a little bit. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of potential here when this all clicks in, because if you think Cooper will either maintain or perhaps elevate what he's been, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt aren't going anywhere. If you in Joku should be a more explosive tight end than what Austin Hooper has been. And then it's very, very curious to find out what they do sort of with this second receiver spot. Whether they bring Jarvis Landry back, whether they draft somebody, whether they find another free agent, whether they just elevate Donovan Peoples-Jones and roll with him. But the, the potential, the explosive potential of this offense, and then Deshaun Watson as a dual-threat guy who can make some stuff happen on his own, as we talked about on last week's Gotta Watch the Tape. Um, it is tantalizing. It is tantalizing. And I think what that the grand guy do. You watch him on film from his days in Chicago. He does some gadget stuff on offense besides just returning kicks. He's a guy that can give some gadgets, do some uh, jet sweeps and things too. So they've added another piece with him as well. They felt like they tried to, they wanted to do that the one year with Jojo Natson, then he got hurt right away. Right. But this guy's an elevated Jojo Natson. And if he stays healthy, you know, they did a little bit of that Lance, like a couple, when they figured out that Anthony Schwartz wasn't actually ready to catch passes in the NFL yet, by the end of the year, they figured out that throw him a couple jet sweeps and, and use them that way. But I like expanding the run game with, with your receivers. I mean, everybody's doing that now, right? That you don't only have to turn around and hand it off to your great tail, tailback. You can run it that way. And, and a grant, I do think they're going to get some bang for the buck out of grant out of that in a way that, say, makes 12 plays a year on offense. Those might, they, they might be super critical plays. You know, they help flip the field. They get you a first down in a spot. Maybe he pops one. I do think they're just going to have more explosive people scattered around the field. And it starts at quarterback, but Scott, in the end, the potential here with Amari Cooper, we're curious to see how Kevin Stefanski uses him. But in the end, we we don't think this is going to be a repeat of Odell Beckham Jr., right? They are going to get, they are going to come much closer to maximizing what this receiver could be. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, Amari Cooper is not disgruntled wide receiver yet, right? He hasn't played in this offense yet. He hasn't been a Cleveland Brown. Even the last couple of years with Odell on the roster, he was he was that guy who clearly was not happy. <laughs> and you're just kind of waiting for everything to go right, and it just never did. So we're at this point now where we haven't seen Amari Cooper in this offense, but we're kind of saying that because they made this dramatic change at quarterback that that he'll never get to that point, that the the cycle of disgruntled wide receiver – after Stefan Diggs and OBJ will has ended and, uh, and perhaps it'll be smooth sailing going forward. Now you made me all nervous about it. I was feeling all good about all the stats. It's like, Oh, well, no, the cycle will end. It's like when you say the cycle will end, the cycle never ends. No, it'll be better. Can't be, it, they, they can't be less effective using a top tier receiver than they were in the past two years. So they, they have to get better, but that's why Deshaun Watson is here, why they did this. But the other side of it is it, it starts with Deshaun Watson. Again, if, if it was Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski, we would just be like, well, he's good, but I don't know. Deshaun Watson's what's going to make this work. But imagine Deshaun Watson, imagine doing what they did, sort of taking this risk, 
taking this on, paying $230 million, and then not having a number one receiver. Then we'd be like, what? Where are they now? He's going to throw to Anthony Schwartz 16 times a game? So it's the pairing. It's the pairing. The pairing of this, coupled with the line, coupled with the backs, coupled with Njoku. It's like, okay, here we go. We like doing Gotta Watch the Tape. We hope you guys like listening. We hope you're reading Cleveland.com slash Browns. If you're an insider, awesome. Thanks. If you've never been an insider, wouldn't be a bad time to try. Drafts are right around the corner. And we'll keep doing these podcasts. We, of course, do Orange and Brown Talk five days a week. And uh, Scott and Ashley and Dan and Mary Kay are constantly writing at cleveland.com slash Browns. For now, for Lance Reisland and Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.